Chris here with a quick content warning. This episode contains discussion of sexual assault from about 3 minutes 40 seconds to about 7 minutes even. Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this, the high noon of season 5, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every goddamn page of MT2, the Weird Weird West the second in a trio of time travel adventures for TSR's Marvel Superheroes RPG. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. The Weird Weird West was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Howdy, buckaroos. Today we're discussing the front cover of The Weird Weird West. It's going to be a real bummer for a second, but then it's going to get fun again. This is a new book, the second module in the Time Warp Adventure series. In the last adventure, we went back to World War II to keep the Nazis from using future superweapons. In the course of that adventure, our heroes acquired a time machine. And while they didn't bother to learn how to drive the fucking thing last time, they are bothering to learn now that the world is no longer in imminent danger of a retroactive Nazi takeover, which I guess is a good time to learn to pilot a time machine. I would say before and even while the world is in imminent danger of a retroactive Nazi takeover would be better times to learn to pilot your time machine. But anyway, our heroes now just about know how to pilot their time machine, and that can only mean time shenanigans, as depicted on this cover. It is, to the uninitiated, a pleasant cover. You got a nice western scene here, those western town storefronts that you always see at the shootout scene in western movies, or more often pastiches of western movies. Comforting, expected in the western genre. Not so comforting, not so expected, is that on this western street, we have a very large Tyrannosaurus Rex and a couple of what the book will refer to later as hoplites. I'm no expert in ancient warfare. I'm positive that these soldiers are inaccurate, but you know what I mean. Ancient, Hellenic, curvy, bristle brush on the helmet soldiers. And then next to them, we have Napoleon pointing. You'll find that typically when people depict Napoleon as being plucked from human history in a time travel story to participate in some kind of um, cross-time supergroup of exceptional earthlings, usually you're going to find Napoleon pointing or looking at a map which I think is unrealistic in a cross-time group, being able to get people to work hard while you point is a highly culture-specific ability. Those hoplites cannot be appreciating this, and I don't think the T-Rex is even listening. Those appear to be our antagonists. They are rushing toward what appear to be our three heroes, who are all characters from Marvel's Western comics. We have in the foreground the Rawhide Kid. He's got a white hat. He's got a neckerchief. He's got a fancy shirt. He's got little decorative armbands. With the white hat especially, he looks like he might be a stripper in a cowboy costume, but that is not the case. He's just accidentally that fancy. Next to him, we have the two-gun kid. He wears a domino mask. He wears a kind of cow print vest. He's got two guns, but so does Rawhide Kid. You can see him right there. Did I mention that Rawhide Kid is wearing bright white gloves with his fancy navy blue shirt? What commitment? If you're wearing white gloves in the Old West, you are committed to the look. I salute you. Rawhide Kid. Anyway, that's enough about Two-Gun Kid. (laughs) Couldn't even maintain focus on him throughout his desultory introduction. Rawhide Kid is my Two-Gun Kid. Henceforth, Two-Gun Kid shall be known as the other Two-Gun Kid. The Two Additional Guns Kid. Then, finally, the good times are over. In the back, we've got the goddamn Phantom Rider. He's all dressed in white, white hat, white mask, white all-over outfit. I'm not impressed by that. It's covered by some kind of phosphorus that makes it glow. So number one, you're cheating at keeping it bright by using glowing phosphorus from a meteorite. Number two, these aren't your regular clothes. 
these are your spooky gunslinger clothes. You're going to take these off when you're done. Live your normal non-Phantom Rider life, and you have plenty of time to wash these. Not like Rawhide Kid, who is living in those white gloves. And damn the consequences. Back to Phantom Rider. Phantom Rider is the dumbest thing on this cover because Phantom Rider was in a very consequential recent storyline in West Coast Avengers. I say recent, but like a year or two before this module came out, the West Coast Avengers did in fact have an adventure in the Old West. They did in fact run into the Phantom Rider, who did, to his everlasting character derailment, abduct Hawkeye's wife and used some manner of magic potion to make her forget her old life and to fall in love with him, at which time it was heavily implied and later confirmed that he had sex with her while she was in a state of magical amnesia love potion. It goes without saying that this is some of the grossest shit that ever happened in an Avengers comic, um, despite the fact that that is oddly a competitive list. If you're not familiar with this comic storyline, you will be delighted to hear that Mockingbird eventually escaped Phantom Rider's bullshit Hollywood Native American magic, and as you would expect from no less distinguished a member of S.H.I.E.L.D. than Bobby goddamn Morse, she rode off on a horse to find him, and she killed him. You will then be angry to learn that Mockingbird's husband, Hawkeye, held this against her, and was in fact so upset about her killing somebody that it caused a whole fracture in the team, and there's this splinter group that came off of the West Coast Avengers, all because, to simplify greatly, Hawkeye's reaction to hearing that a man sexually assaulted his wife was to ask her, so is he okay? Now this sequence of events, already complicated enough, is further complicated by like the mental state of the Phantom Rider who appeared to be in some kind of delusion that he was like a spirit and Mockingbird was a, a queen or something? I, I don't know. And then later on, there's a miniseries that Mockingbird has that would seem to show that actually she wasn't under a potion's effects at all. She just, I guess, was sick of Hawkeye and who can blame her and decided to have an affair with Phantom Rider, but then he turned out to be just like real possessive. So she just killed his ass, like let him fall off a cliff because he was like too needy, sending her a lot of long telegrams and then she would just telegraph back LOL, but then he would do it again, not take the hint. That's irritating. Maybe not sufficient grounds to see your Old West side piece hanging by his fingertips off a cliff and be like, uh, I'm good. And just walk away and let gravity take care of your breakup. If that's how it went down, if there was no coercion, it was just that Mockingbird deliberately had an affair with a guy who turned out to be a creep and so she killed him, then you can understand where her husband might feel rightfully, I don't even want to say judgmental, but maybe concerned. I mean, you'd feel like, that could be me. I mean, I'm Hawkeye. I'm a creep. Is she going to throw me off a cliff? But Hawkeye couldn't have known that that's what happened because that isn't what happened. Not at the time. It was a later retcon. I do not want to talk about this, especially on the first day of a new book. It should be an exciting time. And here we are talking about undoubtedly one of the least pleasant facets of West Coast Avengers history. And there aren't even any West Coast Avengers on this cover. The dumbest thing on this page is Phantom Rider... And I, and I know there are multiple Phantom Riders. The one on the cover might not technically be the one who did this to Mockingbird. Doesn't matter. It's been less than two full years since we saw this happen in comic books. This is a module about the West Coast Avengers, who are the protagonists of that story. I do not want to see Phantom Rider's face or the spooky white mask covering it on this cover. Don't make me think about that when I'm trying to think about Old West dinosaurs. With that out of the way, this should be a day for celebration. It's the beginning of a new book, remember? Howdy buckaroos? Let's bring that energy back. And after bringing you down with some unfortunately necessary details about sex showing up in goofy superhero comics, let me bring you back up with some fun details about sexuality showing up in goofy superhero comics, because as I may have mentioned, 
The Rawhide Kid, the tweeest gun in the West, is the featured face on this cover, here in the foreground, inviting us to join him in this Western adventure with a side of Napoleon. And that makes it a great occasion to point out there happen to be a lot of LGBT Marvel characters in these modules. Could be purely a coincidence. Probably not. Probably there are subtle reasons why this is the case. But these two modules, all this in World War II and the Weird Weird West, have more gay characters than you would expect. So for those of you who enjoy some queer content in your role-playing games and in your superhero adventures, I'm going to do what uh, Ray Winninger in 1989 could not, mostly because these characters' sexualities were not established yet, and take you on a tour of canonically non-hetero Marvel characters that you can use for fun sexy storylines when you run this module and have the power to either leave out Phantom Rider or just have him ride into the scene and directly off a cliff to save everybody a lot of time. First of all, and maybe most predictably, Bucky. It kind of. Uh, he's, he's the weakest canonical argument on the list, but in light of the mountains of circumstantial evidence, I think we have to take seriously the fact that writer Mark Wade, while he was discussing the Black Widow series from 2016, which he wrote, so his word is canon, right? He said that both Natasha Romanoff, Black Widow, and Bucky have had a crush on Steve Rogers at some point in the past. Maybe he was being facetious. The writer, I mean, I think Bucky was dead serious if and when he had a crush on Steve Rogers. But, you know, maybe uh, maybe Mark Wade was being facetious. It's not really clear, but just like honorable mention. We have to say there's a scant but real suggestion from an actual creator that Bucky is actually into Steve Rogers or has been at some point. I'm future-proofing the podcast. Any day now, the floodgates could open. Any day, a comic could confirm it. And then those of you who are doubters now will look back and see what fools you were for ignoring just just the all-pervasive vibe of Bucky. But okay, moving on to real indisputable canon. Uh, do you remember in all this in World War II, we talked about how Moon Knight has a bunch of um, friends and assistants, and we get their names, but not really anything else about them? Well, one of them is Frenchie, who is a pilot, longtime assistant of Moon Knight, one of his oldest, most loyal allies in his fight against, well, I was going to say fight against evil. Moon Knights are not really primarily on that axis. Um, his fight for the moon as he imagines it, I guess. Anyway, whatever the fuck Moon Knight is up to, Frenchie has been helping him for a long time. And it is canon that Frenchie is gay. In fact, he had a long time unrequited attraction to Moon Knight, you're probably not going to see a lot of Frenchie in this adventure path by default because he's not a player character. He's more of a contact, an ally, and so he's not likely to be stowing away in the time machine when Moon Knight and friends go back to World War II or the Old West or whatever. But he could. There's no reason someone couldn't play Frenchie. He's part of Moon Knight's life, an important part of his crime-fighting career. He would be a totally playable player character option or second character option. Sometimes people like to play a couple of player characters in case the party splits up or whatever. Maybe you have somebody who can't make it all the time. Frenchie's named in these books. He's available. He's useful. And he's not only gay, but he's in unrequited gay love with Moon Knight, who, I mean, who fucking knows? It's Moon Knight. Moon Knight's mind and Moon Knight's history and Moon Knight's deal are so confusing. I'm pretty sure he's strong enough to lift a car over his head for psychosomatic reasons. Like, I think Khonshu, sometimes he's a real god and sometimes he's just in Moon Knight's head. Moon Knight has all these different personas that he takes on. I'm just saying a lot of people a lot more stable than Moon Knight have required a lot less than a devoted, charismatic Frenchman with a thin cigarette named Frenchie to spend two gay hours in a straight lifetime. Anything could happen on this trip to the past. Anything could happen. Next up, a featured character this time, a player character option, Union Jack. Union Jack, aka Brian Fallsworth, 
He's one of a number of Union Jacks, but Brian Fallsworth is the one in all this in World War II. Brian Fallsworth is gay. Now, I have to say that Brian Fallsworth is also kind of a doofus. Remember, he's the one who took the mysterious liquid and just drank it at a stranger's bidding in a Nazi uh, jail cell, and that's how he got his superpowers. Uh, he and his friend and lover, Roger Aubrey, were also early advocates of appeasement. Uh, there were actually some propaganda photos that went out of the two of them having a friendly meeting with Hitler. But that's not because Brian is evil. It's because he's, I mean, a lot of people were against war. War is bad. You can be against a bad thing in a dumb way. And that's all Brian was guilty of. Once the reality of the world situation penetrated his thick fucking skull, he took the side of the good guys. And he fought the Nazis and he was a superhero. He fought alongside Captain America. He fought alongside Roger Aubrey, who also became a superhero. First, he was Dynamite, whose power was that he was like a little guy, a little like under one foot guy. And then he became the Destroyer. I guess he got better from being super short. You wouldn't call a one foot man the Destroyer, probably. But suffice it to say that here, if you really want to play a full, rounded, name brand, fully canonical gay Marvel superhero experience, Union Jack is the one to choose. He's a reasonably big name superhero on a big superhero team in The Invaders. He's undeniably gay. He's got an undeniably gay boyfriend. His undeniably gay boyfriend is also a gay superhero. They fight Nazis together. It's everything that MCU fans so badly want Captain America and Bucky to be, but they just aren't quite, not officially. If you're willing to mark down a Captain America to a Union Jack, you can have it all. Uh, next, a couple of minor entries, but they deserve a mention. Scarlet Witch and Vision had kids. Tommy and Billy. Uh, at this time, in like the late 80s, early 90s, they were pretty much babies, best known for their short, strange life stories. Born to a robot dad, then they disappeared, then they reappeared as a demon man's arms. His name is Master Pandemonium. If you look up a picture of him, understandably, one of the key images you will see is that time that he had babies for arms. That's a milestone in your life. People remember. For modern comic book fans, Tommy and Billy are known as the superheroes Wiccan and Speed, they're pretty much kind of the same Tommy and Billy. They're like the reincarnations of imaginary babies who got, I guess, unimagined in a devil-related situation. Anyway, my point is that they're gay. Wiccan is in a like definitely gay, front and center, big part of the story, gay relationship with Hulkling. Whereas Speed, according to his Wikipedia article, definitely has a habit of getting very slightly buzzed with and then making out with at least one dude, uh, his fellow superhero prodigy. He's also got a relationship with a female character, though, so I think signs point to Speed being bi, Wiccan being gay. They're not in this adventure, and chronologically, they won't be around for a little while from this time frame. But at the same time, Billy and Tommy are both members of the Young Avengers, which was formed by Iron Lad. You may be asking yourself, if you're not a devoted comics fan, who is Iron Lad? And I'll give you three guesses. Suffice it to say, it would not be hard to involve them in a time travel story. So... If you want some gay characters to play in this adventure and Union Jack isn't your style, you could easily adapt Vision and Scarlet Witch's kids, Wiccan and Speed, Billy and Tommy, to come back to this time frame via time travel and participate in the adventure, go to World War II, go to the Old West. Their names are in the book. The judge has to allow it. Now, if your judge is going to be a hard ass about this and demand that you play a character who has statistics, a character who has a stat block in the book, someone who exists within the fiction, someone who isn't a demon's baby arms right now, then I've got you covered there too. Why don't you play Pinky Pinkerton? Pinky Pinkerton is one of the Howling Commandos. You may remember him as the one with the bumber shoot. He's the British one. He fights Nazis with an umbrella. Never established as gay in the original Howling Commandos comics, but Stan Lee later said that he was, and it's since been confirmed. Pinky Pinkerton, 
no question, Stone Cold Canon. It's inscribed in Marvel Universe history. Gay Brit fights Nazis with Bumbershoot. Now, I grant you that the Howler's stats are not as impressive as they should be in all this in World War II. However, as we discussed when we talked about those stats, they don't include talents because the talents aren't shared among characters, right? Each Howler has basically the same abilities, you know, fighting, agility, strengths, all those, but they should have different talents, which I think is why they're not in the stat block. If you could convince the GM to let you play Pinky Pinkerton, and you could further convince the GM to let you take the weapons specialist talent with the Bumbershoot, which would give you a plus two column shift to fight Nazis with your Bumbershoot, I think you are going to have a good time. Moving on to the current module, and in fact, this very cover, Rawhide Kid, canonically gay. One of the most formidable gunfighters in the West, not a lawman, but an outlaw, the more fun kind of Western gunslinger character, superlatively quick draw, bright red hair, white gloves, and a white cowboy hat that's just a little too small. I hope that I'm not conveying Rawhide Kid as like stereotypically gay in a kind of old-fashioned, like, gay men are fancy way. It's not about that. Like, you know, with Union Jack, I had a concern. Like, if you're on team LGBT, I'm not sure you want Union Jack necessarily. You know, anybody who's taken a smiley picture with Hitler, you think twice about whether you want them on the team. But that's up to you. If you're gay, that's your lookout. Rawhide kid, I gotta say, selfishly, as one of the straights, you give me a rawhide kid who's who's a straight ladies' man, he's still dapper as hell. It works regardless. But he's not. Canonically, if you're gay, he's yours. And I'm happy for you. And not only that, but at one point, he made an offhand comment. This is like a, 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 a 0.5, one half of a canonical gay character. The canonically gay Rawhide Kid definitely insinuated that the two-gun kid is either like bi or in the closet. That's secondhand, but are you going to doubt the honesty of the Rawhide Kid? He's wearing a white hat and white gloves. How much more does he need to signal what his Old West alignment is? He wouldn't bullshit you, so I think two-gun kid, probably gay as well. And then finally, this one's also a, a maybe, Alexander the Great also happens to be in this book. Minor spoilers for later. There's been a ton of scholarly debate over the sexual practices of Alexander the Great, and of course, a continuous refrain that our modern conceptions of sexuality and sexual orientation don't really apply. You know, he was from a different time when they thought about sex differently. You know, you hear Alexander the Great, sounds like a guy you want to claim. Actually, <laughs> when I, I was looking up, I was researching this episode, making sure I had the latest information about this, and I was Googling is Alexander the Great gay? And one of the Google autocompletes for that was, was Alexander the Great really great? <laughs> so clearly, there's a general uncertainty about exactly what was so great, if anything, about Alexander. But based on name alone, you would think, if we're combing through history for some high-quality gay people, you could do worse than a guy whose last name is The Great. But, you know, if you read those Google results about the sexual practices current during Alexander the Great's lifetime... I think you may come to the conclusion I did, which is, let's let's let Alexander the Great be dead. Let's not, you know, gay or straight. The important thing is that he's dead and he's not having sex with anybody of any gender or any degree of beardlessness. So that completes our tour. That's like, what, five really good, solid, ready-to-go, default playable canonically gay characters, plus a few peripheral characters who could pretty easily be brought in. Sadly, they're all men. I did look into the few women in this adventure. Scarlet Witch, no luck. A very minor superheroine called Shooting Star, we're going to see later in this book, no luck. Tigra, I feel like I need to do a recount on Tigra. Tigra, according to my research, has fucked basically every male superhero in the Marvel Universe and none of the women, which seems almost like a statistical impossibility. If you were getting busy as frequently as Tigra is, 
at some point you're going to fuck a lady by accident. So I don't accept the official statistics on this, but canonically, Tigra has threaded the needle. She remains staunchly heterosexual, just one of the handful of straight women who have swept the board in these modules. No points on the board for lesbians here in this West Coast Avengers adventure, probably because they're all hanging out with the late 80s, early 90s X-Men. There's just a lot of highly lesbian gravity pulling into the X-Men of this era from all directions. Think of like Storm's Mohawk. That doesn't just happen. Those are fundamental natural forces at work. But anyway, I hope that I have sufficiently lifted your spirits after this total bummer of a start to this first episode about the new book. I sure hope so, because join me next time when we talk about some tiny little black and white maps on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact me however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Gmail, Podbean, your favorite podcatcher, etc., etc. This episode's theme music, used under Creative Commons license, is Western Firefight 2 by Kula, whose work you can find at kula.com. That's C-U-L-L-A-H dot com. Thanks for listening.